Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm rarely late. And now, the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zappel. Monday, June 20th, and welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice of Young Adult Cancer. I'm Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, calling in from the home office in New York, Hudson Valley, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. All right, got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show is a great one. It's all about staying fit and being well. We have Kathleen Venezia, who's a young adult survivor of breast and thyroid cancer, and she's a health coach and founder of something called Bella Wellness. She'll tell us all about that. Lisa Hoffman is the founder of Solo Fitness, and she's the author of The Healing Power of Movement, How to Benefit from Physical Activity During Your Cancer Treatment. And kicking it off in our Survivor Spotlight, Jessica Rogers, nominal survivor of breast cancer. All right, folks, as a reminder, this broadcast is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com, we help young adults fight cancer every day, and we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So, hello and welcome to tonight's fun and exciting rump to the hay on the Stupid Cancer Show where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And the Stupid Cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the chemo deck and our Hudson Valley no our fabulous studio is downtown. That is the All right, the uh, Stupid Cancer Show, as you may know, has a live interactive chat feed. During each broadcast, we invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, ask questions of our guests. And I'd like to welcome in studio Mr. James Manning. Hey, hey. What's and up? our intern in the background, Suzel Cast. Kenny, what's Susie's last name? Castelline. Susie Castelline. And Kenny Kane. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. And Jess Rogers in studio. Hi. How you doing? You nervous? Just a little. You sure? All right. We won't uh, put you on the spot that much. Anyway. Yes, we will. So that's the shot. That's the show. 
Welcome aboard. So, Lisa, you're on a raft floating to Cuba right now? Yeah, it's in my usual spot. You know okay. it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Say hi to Elian Gonzalez for me. <laughs> Huck Finn style. Yeah. Mm, I don't know if I want to get entangled in an Elian Gonzalez scenario. No, that would be very bad. How old is that kid now? He's got to be at least in college. 20 or something, yeah? Yeah. He's, what what year was that? Was that? That was like 1999, right? Or 2000? Uh, somewhere in there, I guess. He's due for one of those Where Are They Now segments yeah. you know, pages I, in, in People magazine. He's definitely got four wheels now. I think he joined the Cuban <laughs> Army. Yeah? Didn't he? he did Someone something. Wikipedia Elian Gonzalez and let us know uh, what he's up to. So uh, Get on that, James. Yes. I'll do my best. <laughs> so, uh, Lise, how was your weekend? Uh, my weekend was fabulous, but probably not as good as yours because you had the big bad Father's Day uh, celebration with uh, the babies. I did. I, I celebrated before. my second Father's Day, which was uh, very exciting because this year they kind of know who I am. <laughs> uh, last year they were little blobs. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. This so year. What, is, uh, what, is, what did they do? What did, what did Jess have lined up for the, the Father's Day festivities? Well, we saw my folks on Saturday night. Uh, for dinner, we took them to the diner, um, and uh, my kids came to the diner. Man, they had fun. They're so well behaved; it's amazing. Uh, as long as you keep feeding them, I guess that's the secret. Yeah. Uh, and then Sunday, we had a barbecue at my in-laws' house, which was nice, and uh, they behaved there as well. So, uh, all in all, a, a wonderful second Father's Day, and they got me this great gift. Um, clearly, they put it together with themselves, and Jessica had nothing to do with it. Um, but it was this wonderful little "We love you, Dad." Happy Father's Day uh, present. So very nice. Yes. Sweet. I'm glad to hear that you're um, training your kids well to behave well in public places because too many people. Like I don't understand how some parents just let kids take over in restaurants and when they're out and about. But not yours. Well, I, I can't claim to have trained them yet. I think they're just naturally well behaved, and we're not taking that well, for even, granted. Even better then. Yes. They're medicated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we give them a shot every morning of rum, so they're quiet. That's the best one. That James is like, saying, no, don't say that. Yeah. I was in a grocery store this afternoon, and there was a child screaming, and I was at the deli counter, and this woman just starts screaming, tell that child to shut up. And I wanted to look at this lady and say, excuse me, what planet are you from? Right, exactly, like the kid knows. Oh, exactly. Right. Although I will say my daughter now knows what the word no means. That's good. She's 14 months old. She knows what no means. I'm very impressed. That's good. So she goes to touch something, and like, Hannah, no. And she, like, puts her hand down, put, hangs her head to shame. <laughs> She's not old enough to know to say no back to me. <laughs> so I'll enjoy these months <laughs> biding the, my that's time. That's terrible, too. Just yeah, wait. exactly. Just wait. Well, Jess, you have a uh, daughter or a son? I have a son. And he's three now. He'll be three in August. All right, so you're already going to tell me how horrible things are going to get. Between now and that. <laughs> it just changes. It gets fun. It just it changes, quote-unquote. It just changes, Matt. That's okay. Um, anyway, I, I have um, we have a couple of things to talk about here in the gossip section of the show. But I do want to um, – we lost somebody this week. She was uh, end stage for a couple of months, and she is someone that if you don't know who she is, we want to make you aware of who she is. I first met her in 2004. Uh, her name is Monica Knoll. Her name it was my. I mean, name will always be Monica Knoll. She was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and then cerv- uh, ovarian cancer, 
and she founded an organization called Cancer 101. It's still online, cancer101.org. Um, she really filled a gap. I'm a big fan of not reinventing the wheel. And she did something that was so pioneering and revolutionary uh, for its time, and it's still applicable today um, in terms of patient navigation. Most people out there may have heard of the Livestrong Notebook. Um, Livestrong makes this this um, this utility for patients to write down their prescriptions and their doctor con- uh, contact and their dates and times and their calendars. It's an offline, really, really significantly well-developed offline tool that helps you live through and um, sort of part diary, part calendar. Uh, it's amazing. But Monica came out with one first, and she came out with one. It's the Cancer 101 book. It's a very different user experience than the Livestrong book. Um, not one is not better than the other, but I've I found that Monica's book is just uh, using Monica's toolkit. Um, it's a it's more of a, a personal feel. It's more organic. It's more like made for you. Um, I, I'm not slandering or saying anything negative about the Livestrong book, but Cancer 101 really revolutionized this idea that we could have something physical in our hands that makes sense. And uh, she unfortunately passed away this morning. I think she was, I'm getting her age wrong, but I think she was 44, 45. But she was diagnosed many, many years ago. And uh, she actually was on the radio show in 2008, and she was one of our keynote speakers at the OMG Summit in 2009, the one we we did with the uh, Barenaked Ladies. So I wanted to play a a two-minute clip because I actually pulled the audio from the interview um, uh, uh, from uh, from 2008. I, I wanted just to play her voice. I wanted you to hear her spirit. Um, she was feisty. She was feisty to say the least, and uh, I think you'll hear it all here. And and the full uh, uh, excerpt, the full interview with Monica is available on our website. If you go to uh, guests.stupidcancer.com, we'll post it on the page, of course. But guests.stupidcancer.com, and you scroll through the 2008 uh, seasons, uh, you search for Monica, and you, you'll pull up the show. But um, Monica, you were a... Uh, a hero to me, your inspiration. You gave birth to something that I helped uh, feel like you give uh, back to as well. So here is uh, here's Monica Knoll on the Stupid Cancer Show in 2008. Before I had fabulous co-hosts and, and, and an office and technology, and I was in my basement. So um, here you go. My first guest. Uh, he founded Cancer 101. Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. My friend and yours, Monica Knoll. Hey, hey everyone. I'm hey, so Monica. Happy to be here. Oh, it's been a long Hi, time Mandy. coming. How are you? I Excellent. know. Yeah. I'm so excited. So you have a, a really, crazy. really interesting story um, that you were diagnosed with, with both breast and ovarian cancer. And last week, we talked about how teal, which is the official color of ovarian cancer, was getting angry with pink yes. because pink was creeping into September. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the, first of all, I have to laugh about the whole pink alicia. What do you call it? The, <laughs> what are you calling it? Pink nausea. I almost call it pink alicia. So pink nausea. Sorry, pink alicia happens to be a children's book my niece loves to read. So, yeah, I, I picked I picked a green for my, uh, for my charity because I, I was sort of, I thought the pink was a little overdone myself. Um, and... Yeah, the fact that that uh, pink is creeping into September is a little unfortunate. 
but it's become uh, so clogged up in October with all the pink uh, breast cancer events that everyone's jumping into September to capture, you know, the funds. I couldn't agree more. And and you have decided to, you know, pardon the horrible cliche metaphor, but you've decided to make lemonade from lemons and uh, start your own organization called Cancer 101. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so I created Cancer 101. It was pretty, you know, uh, designed uh, based on the experience that I had uh, when going through breast cancer. But then I met hundreds of people on the way, and we all felt the same way. We had these great doctors, but we were so overwhelmed by the process. I mean, you know, I asked my nurse, well, where did you get a wig? And, and you know, she gave me the name of one wig shop. And I thought, well, I live in Manhattan. There's got to be more than one wig shop to choose from. But every single thing, resources, navigating the system, navigating the city, navigating finding what I needed was so difficult. So that's a uh, a brief clip, two minutes from my uh, my 45-minute interview with Monica Noll back then. We had uh, very long interviews and uh, really a huge loss to our community. We love her. We miss her. She will be remembered forever, and uh, Cancer 101 will live on in reality and in spirit for her. So um, just a quick moment of silence for Monica Knoll. All right. Applause for Monica Knoll. All right, so now it's time to be a little less serious, but uh, these are the realities we deal with on the show. And, uh, Lisa, you had something that you uh, sent me earlier today, um, kind of scary, but uh, opportunistic for tonight's conversation. Well, I've noticed this piece that was in the Wall Street Journal today that essentially in a nutshell said that um, if you sit on your butt for too long, you could basically get cancer in your butt, I think was was basically the gist of it. Um, that there was a study done um, uh, somewhere in, in Australia, I believe, that Australian scientists collected data and showed that um, those that uh, sat at their jobs kind of uh, twice as long as others had a risk of getting colon cancer and rectal cancer for sitting too long. And, and folks that had jobs that were uh, re- required a lot of physical activity reduced their risk of colon and rectal cancer by 44%. So um, I guess that you could see some sort of connection there that if you're sitting and you're not moving, that sort of lower area of your um, physique, so to speak, is more prone to uh, cancer. So everybody who's got a desk job, which is, you know, most most people out there, get up and start walking around. Um, but is there so is there a direct – have they determined that there's been a significant or substantive enough increase in colorectal cancer or rectal cancer that would – be as a result of this? Well, this is a study, I'm singling out a study that said um, that this is data collected for two years, um, 918 colon cancer patients, 1,000 controls, and jobs were ranked according to the level of physical activity from light to heavy. Subjects who spent 10 or more years in sedentary jobs had twice the risk of colon cancer and 44% increased risk of risk of rectal cancer compared with those who never held a sedentary job. Yeah, but what so, other factors, I mean, I guess this can tie into later today, but what other factors would exacerbate that? Like if you 
ate organics and gave yourself an enema every day and juice kale, like yeah. does that reduce? Does that carbon neutral your ass no. set, set? Right. Does that can you sit on your butt and eat kale and be fine? No. Or is it those who sit on their butt and uh, you know eat Oscar Mayer, you know, uh, cold cuts? Uh, are you doomed? That, no, no, I, I'm, I was no, going to no. go with the deep fried Twinkie inside Oscar Mayer cold cuts, but okay. I think they're going to have to research that again. It seems just a little too limited, and I'd want to know if the journal is even reputable. It just seems a little out there. Yeah. What's the well, source, Lisa? The Wall Street Journal would be the No, story. no, what's the source of the report? Who the published it? The report, I actually, do, it doesn't um, say the source. Oh, uh, I'm, not, I'm sorry. The American Journal of Epidemiology. Was it peer-reviewed, or is this just an editorial? No, that is a peer-reviewed journal. Okay. Yeah. But hmm. it says Australian scientists, so I don't know those people. They're on the other side of the equator. Everything's upside down down there anyway. Yeah, so maybe by sitting here you get brain cancer instead of ass cancer. Given the history right. of I2I Australia. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. Well, in any case, yet another reason I, to uh, yeah. never do anything ever. No, get to actually walk, do something. Get up, get up and, right, get up and walk around and exercise, and that's exactly what tonight's show is about. Um. And to live in a sterile environment. Well, honestly, you know what? If 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 I could just you know juice kale and still be sedentary, I'll choose that. You but would. if I could deep I fry the kale first, and then stay sedentary, and maybe reduce my risk of colon cancer by you know like thirty percent instead of forty, I'll do that. Well, I'm going to give you actually a little kale tip now. I don't know how many of the vitamins this takes out of kale. But this is very easy, Matthew, and I think that you would find that this tastes good. You can just take kale and put it on a baking sheet, sprinkle some olive oil on it, a tiny bit of salt. I'm not a huge salt advocator, but just for a little bit of flavor. Put it in your oven on bake for, you know, I don't know, seven, eight minutes. And you take it out, and it gets kind of crispy, and it's delicious. And it's very, um, it, it's very, it, well, I, I said it, it's delicious. I think you would actually really like that. You don't have to juice it, Matthew. That's my that's my diet tip for the evening. Are you hitting on me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my oven's been opened in like six months. There's bats inside my oven. Yes, because you have to, you probably use it for storage with the two kids. You're yeah, there's baby food in there. It's like <laughs> <laughs> liquor cabinet. It's my, yeah, my booze is in my oven. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, let's get to Jessica. She's in studio tonight. So let's queue up our, uh, let's see, we'll give you, uh, well, you're in treatment now, so how about this? <laughs> Jessica Rogers was diagnosed with the age of 32 in 2010 with stage 2 breast cancer. She's currently in post-treatment and receiving tamoxifen while taking care of her three-year-old son who was just 18 months old when she was diagnosed. She joined the New York City Planning Committee, but she lost the bet, and has joined the inner circle of the Kool-Aid Drinking Maniacs for the I'm Too Young for this Cancer Foundation. Please welcome in studio the one and only Jessica Rogers. Thank you. So, yeah, um, we it's always interesting for us to um, find people in treatment. We tend to attract people that are out of treatment. Um, but I think what, I mean, I want to talk to you about, you know, how you found us and what your life was like and were you treated appropriately and how this was diagnosed. So I'll let you uh, just start the story. Well, I found the organization because I was doing a lot of research because I found that the organizations out there 
were really geared towards significantly older women, and when I would go for chemo, I was by far the child of the room. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel that I had anyone I could talk to, and although my oncologist was exceptionally brilliant and smart and knew what to do, she dismissed a lot of my concerns and a lot of what I had questions about and put me off to the side a little bit. So I felt that I had no one to turn to, and I figured that there had to be something or someone out there. So and I still have a lot of questions and working through it in this organization is helping me. So were you, um, did you self-diagnose? I mean, did you find this in the shower or how did this come about? I actually had had a history. Okay. And it's interesting because I had had a history of fibroanzinomas and cysts. and I just had, I had mammograms every year, ultrasounds, MRIs. I had it all and I had found another one and we figured this is just the same old stuff. Right. No worries. And, it turned out that it was, and I received a call from my breast surgeon on a Friday night and at 7 o'clock, and she just called me crying and told me the news. Wow. wow. Your but surgeon called you, called you crying, Jessica. Yeah. She didn't, because the problem, what's unique about this is that I was going undergoing fertility treatments. And she had uh, told This was to have another child? Mm-hmm. Okay. And she had told me to continue, no worries, it looks like all the others, this is, but... The radiologist is saying stage four, you should, I can't ignore it, get the biopsy, but right. it's not going to be anything. So continue with whatever you're doing. And so she calls crying. Wow. I would not want my, my surgeon to call me crying. That's one thing I could say that did not happen to me. Yeah, that's pretty deep. Yeah, that's very deep. So what was but your reaction? My reaction was, I have Chinese food coming. I, I can't talk because nice. my doorbell. <laughs> my husband turned off my doorbell not to wake my son, so I have to go answer the door. So I hung up on her and, and waited for my Chinese food. Wow. So it didn't really sink in, but she called my husband at work, and he came home. Wow. So, so Jessica, you were undergoing fertility treatments, but not for the uh, the three-year-old. Oh, it, it, not for the three-year-old that you have now. No. Okay. No. Um, so, so what happened? So she's they, a glutton for punishment. She wants more than one kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, did they do any sort of? Um, they, they didn't do any sort of link between the two, did they? The the specialist did, I had been seeing for the fertility wouldn't really didn't really want to talk about it because there have been links, so they were yeah. suspicious that it just put everything into high gear. They, uh, I would have had they. They're pretty sure I would have had the cancer regardless, but they think that this accelerated it significantly. In is my that, case, um, because estrogen related, or did they not right. go into it? It's, no, yeah. the estrogen. Yeah, I would imagine. So you are so you're ER positive then? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which is obviously why you're taking tamoxifen. You wouldn't otherwise. Right. Right. At least had breast cancer. So. Uh... So I'm on for five years. Oncologist said we can negotiate it two years, so I'm going to see her in August to start talking about that decision two years versus five. I hear a lot of different information out there. But you did lose your hair and it came back. I did. I was I was bald and it and it was pinned straight before and it's coming back extremely curly. Does that make you Jewish you now? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I actually get more compliments now than I did before. No, it's yeah. great. If you didn't know you before, you know, that'd be fantastic. And if you did know you before and they said you looked better before, fuck them. Exactly. There you go. Sorry, James, I know you guys listening. We we, we do hear that a lot just as an aside, that a lot of people, um, 
uh, we've had many. I find that that's a, uh, uh, an anecdote that gets repeated that folks who have their hair growing, it grows in often curly when they've had straight hair. I don't know. Maybe we should do an entire show on growing your hair back curly. Well, my hair was curly and it grew back invisible. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's my excuse? Post chemo <laughs> solar panel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so you were not misdiagnosed. You were. It seems like you were diagnosed in a timely fashion. You were given like reasonable amounts of information about your like uh, clinical prognosis. For the most part, I right. had, I had I had gone through a couple oncologists. I had a problem with the first one. We didn't really click, and I didn't agree with anything. The problem I faced was that. I had the surgery, the double mastectomy, and, and I heard what I wanted to hear, and I figured, that's it, I'm done, let's call it a day, I'm cured. Wow. So I had gone to the oncologist after, and everyone had been telling me, you're not going to need chemo, you're not going to need chemo, but things started coming back, and pathology reports weren't as pretty as we would have liked. So I went back, and the problem is is that they just throw a bunch of stats in front of you. And I had no idea how to navigate through the statistics and what I should do because if you give me the option for no chemo, I'm going to go with it and roll the dice. Yeah. At the summit, we we learned about patient navigators. Was that even an option that you were given or a nurse navigator or anybody to kind of wade through the statistics with you? No. It would have been extremely helpful. And when I heard about it at the summit, I was actually quite frustrated. And which hospital, if you don't mind saying? I was at a couple. Um, I started off on one on Long Island, Winthrop, where my breast surgeon was just, she was amazing, incredible. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was really sad to stop seeing her, but then I went to Memorial Sloan Kettering. Okay. And And they were helpful. And what did they do in terms of lymph nodes? Did they just take the sentinel uh, node out, or did you have more lymph nodes removed? I had about eight removed. Okay. So the sentinel, it wasn't positive, but there were other ones that were. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Huh. So, now I have the fun lymphedema. You do have lymphedema? I've had a, I've had a lot of problems with my arm, and I didn't realize that when I exercise, when I run, I ran a half marathon, and my arm swelled up. No one had told me that I should be wearing compression sleeves or watching out. For, in fact, no one ever mentioned lymphedema to me. Really? When I had my wow. lymph nodes, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to touch that arm, blood pressure, or anything. No one had given me that information. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty big oversight. So that 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 should be a pretty standard thing. I mean, I wonder if they thought just having me eight. Out, I mean, I think I had about fifteen out, um, but I'm going back, you know, fifteen plus thousand years. Thousand years. A thousand and fifteen plus years. Yeah, um, but. Uh, yeah, that's, so you did. So you had problems with the swelling. Have you been able to keep that under control? Yes. Okay. And how has it been to be on uh, tamoxifen? Because tamoxifen can often, you know, have its own side effects as well. I, it's, I've been pretty fortunate compared to some of the stories I've heard. I do have the hot flashes, but they're manageable. I can tolerate them. But so all in all, it's been okay. Wow. I've heard some terrible stories with side effects, and I, I'm pretty fortunate. I really shouldn't complain. Yeah, and did you, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew, I just did, I missed before. Did you choose to have um, the double mastectomy, the other one prophylactically, or did they find uh, something in both breasts? The problem was is that the cancer, once they had found it and they biopsied it, they did an MRI afterwards 
to get more, I, I guess, more detail, mm-hmm. and they weren't able to detect the cancer on an MRI. So the surgeon's concern is is that I was having biopsies at least every three months on different abnormalities, and she was concerned that they wouldn't be able to monitor it because they usually rely on MRIs. So they encouraged it. It, it went in front of some tumor board, they encouraged it, and it turned out everything on the right-hand side was precancerous and atypical anyway. Who needs it anyway? Exactly. Yep. They're just for yep. men, right? <laughs> and you're married with a kid, so... It doesn't matter yeah. anymore. Yeah, exactly. Did you choose to have um, Did you choose to have reconstruction? I did, I did. I had reconstruction, I had the expanders, and then the implants. Okay, has, has that all been um, pretty uneventful? In terms of your healing, yeah, I think so. I'm almost, I'm almost done with all of it. Yeah, that's good. That's great. Oh, very cool. So again, going back to your story, like it, it, it sounds like you got very lucky. I did. In ter- with respect to some of the horror stories that we hear these days, you did find the doctor you like after getting rid of the first one. You were your own advocate the entire time. Mm-hmm. But that one element that was missing was this idea that there's more to the cure than this medicine and this research, and that the individual needs that you had, the social needs, mm-hmm. the meeting other people needs, was not even on the radar of the people that was, were trying to save your life. No. Right. See, and that's the whole point of, of the show and our movement and the the survivorship, or you know, what what do you feel? And this is sort of not a loaded question in a sense, but what do you feel it's going to take? And don't say us because we know it's us, but what do you think it's going to take to get doctors to realize that when they're treating a human being, it's more than just the medicine and the surgery? Oh, my gosh. That's, that's a... You have 10 seconds. Go. <laughs> that's a tough question, but I, I think that they sh- there should be some sort of program. They need to be made aware that we have similar needs, but although very different. I had a significant concerns and they were different than somebody sitting next to me. My grandmother was diagnosed the same week I was. Wow, okay. So talking to her and her treatment and my treatment, it was very different. We had very, very different concerns. And of course. I didn't have anyone to talk to. My breast surgeon was crying because I was the second one she's ever known under the age of 35 to be diagnosed. So she didn't even have anywhere to point me or anyone I could talk to. And or they were not aware of groups like ours or the Young Survival Coalition. No, it's it was the standard organizations right. that you usually right, see. Exactly. So it was hard. I, I, you know, I was fortunate to have great support at home, great support at work. So I had a sure. huge support system, especially with my son. But I wanted to talk to other people in the same situation who could relate, and it was really tough. And you and know, that's by amazing because oh, sorry, Matthew, you're okay, go ahead. in New York. You're in the New. It's amazing because you're in the New York area, and you right. ended up at major places like Sloan Kettering. It's not like you're in some small town in the middle of the country. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it Sloan should know better. Sloan should know better. I don't oh, know they, if it's they different. Do. I was on they the do. Long Island campus. I don't know if, if it's. Oh, then it's Long Island's fault. <laughs> it's Kenny's fault because he's from Long Island. Right. Well, the sad thing is, it's going to take legislation to put in patient navigators and nurse navigators at the National Cancer Institutes at these respected institutions, and I don't think they're going to do it on their own. And there are other things that may have to come as well, but. Until then, no one asked you, James. No, I know they didn't. But, but it, it, it's just sad. It's sad that it won't take their doing. Well, anyway, Jess, you're here for the duration of the show. You can chime in anytime. I thank you for being thank our you. Survivor Spotlight tonight, Jessica Rogers. Everybody, thanks, Jessica. Thank you. So let's uh, breeze through the news here, and then we'll get to our first guest. Hello, 
I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. And they're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you would like us to spread the word about, please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com. All right, buddy, take it away. All right, head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because something will be happening in your neck of the woods and we certainly don't want you missing out. And uh, we've got local events coming up in Chicago this Thursday. Super Cancer Boot Camp with Johnny Immerman and I partnering with Northwestern University on Oncofertility. June 24th, Super Cancer Happy Hour in Ann Arbor, Michigan. June 30th in San Diego. July 13th in Nashville. July 13th in D.C. July 14th in Long Island. August 17th in Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania. And we have a special event coming up, the solosurvivors.org website run by our friend Tracy Maxwell <coughs> is having their annual retreat Thursday, August 25th at 12 p.m. to August 28th at 5 p.m. Go to solosurvivors.org and uh, sign up. 50 bucks. It's a great deal. We're gearing up for the 2012 OMG Summit in Las Vegas early next year. Get the scoop on upcoming Save the Day. Um, join the Facebook group and sign up for the mailing list at uh, omg2012.org. What, are you nervous? I can't do this. <laughs> All right. The Stupid Cancer Forums have more than 700 members. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com and log in through Facebook. Hey, this, um, want help and don't know how? Join the Stupid Cancer Street Team. It's free, it's easy. Win great prizes, build grassroots efforts, and meet thousands of enthusiastic fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com. You don't sound very excited. You gotta, you gotta put a little... And as always, be sure to register yourself with Immerman Angels. I'm still gonna get through it. <laughs> our partner in one-in-one peer matching at immermanangels.org. And check out the calendar for First Descents, the premier young adult outdoor organization uh, with adventures outdoors. And they're an organization. All right, I, <laughs> All right, you guys are never doing fail. this again. Visit firstdescents.com, and that is your stupid cancer news. Oh, God. You guys are fired. You guys are so <laughs> fired. Oh, well. Lisa's laughing at you. Well, that's what, that's what happens when you tell us 30 seconds before that oh, we're going to... Oh, come on. Then we're going to alternate each line on the one piece of paper. You've heard Lisa and I do this every day for every week for... Well, like, that's why I, I put your... And that's your stupid cancer news. You're like Guy Smiley. He is. I'm too young for this. You are too young for Guy Smiley. <clears throat> anyway, well, uh, we uh, I think we lo- lost Kathleen, so we're going to do uh, Lisa first. So uh, hopefully Kathleen will be dialing back in. All right, so let's do uh, let's do Lisa Hoffman. Let's get this queued up here. Um, Lisa Bernhardt, you want to take this? Sure. Lisa Hoffman. Lisa Hoffman is an exercise physiologist and founder and president of Solo Fitness and Wellness. She has more than 20 years of experience in 
management, program development, and planning in the health and wellness industry. Her company, Solo Fitness and Wellness, specializes in engaging individuals to participate in physical activity as primary prevention and therapeutic wellness during health challenges. In particular, Solo Healing Program highlights fitness and wellness programs for those diagnosed with cancer. This was featured in her second book, Healing Power of Movement, How to Benefit during your cancer treatment, focuses on the importance of physical activity during cancer. We are very happy to have her. Please welcome Lisa Hoffman. Okay, I'm going to unmute Lisa Hoffman and Lisa Hoffman. Well, hi there. Thank you, everyone, for that warm welcome. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Matthew. Yeah, you're hi, not Jane. special, but you're there for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you're getting yourself into. Oh, huh? gosh. Here we go. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, Kathy, uh, we we had to pull you pull you first. Sorry about that. Kathy's having some phone issues, but um, I thank you for being flexible, calling in early. I'm glad you were listening into the show, getting a feel for what we do, how we talk, and what we're all about. Um, and uh, you came highly recommended. I have to thank uh, Mr. Dr. James Manning, Jr. Senior, for finding you and bringing you on. So, why don't you? Uh, I mean, your bio was great. Why don't you tell us your your story? Well, thank thank you, Matthew. You know, it was quite interesting when I was uh, listening to Jessica um, about some challenges that she's been going through since diagnosis and through the course of treatment. And it really goes back and what you were saying about how do we get on the radar of moving more that cancer treatment is more than the medicine and the surgery. And it's all these other ancillary services and uh, how do you continue the continuum of care and quality of life. And certainly with our focus with solo fitness and wellness with our clients and our groups is implementing physical activity into one's life. Now, we know on the best of days, cancer cancer or no cancer, being physically active on a regular basis is quite challenging. And now to add this, um, during during a diagnosis and treatment and post-treatment, it becomes pretty challenging. So uh, we were a bit in a conundrum of what to do. Um, And if we're going into engaging people to participate in physical activity, it needs to resonate with them. That if someone is going through, has a history of cancer, then we want to address these needs. Someone has a history of diabetes, we want to address these needs someone has a knee issue, we want to address these needs, or a bum shoulder, or wants to participate in their first 5K walk run, we want to help them reach those goals. So it really depends on what people are wanting to do to help them being physically active. And we know from the research out there, and also common sense would tell you, that it makes more sense to move more and sit less. And exactly what does that mean for everybody? It's quite different. And I'd like to open that up of what you think um, are some points of interest for people of how to participate in physical activity and why, and why as a cancer survivor, why it's important, and are there some motivating factors because of the history of either chemotherapy, radiation, and surgery that we can help manifest these perhaps long-term side effects or consequences, consequences that can or cannot happen and how we can help that along. Well, I've, I've uh, outfitted my office chair with an, uh, an outboard motor and right. uh, one of those lap bands. So I'm constantly jiggling while I'm sitting here getting colon cancer. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. You know what? There's science out there. The, the ones who are more jittery 
and you know can't sit still have actually a more uh, beneficial um, outcome for health than those who are sitting all the time. And just because if, you know some people go to work and they're sitting eight hours a day, and then they go out for that half an hour for a brisk walk or walking on the treadmill and go back to work and sit down or uh, go home, eat dinner, and sit on the couch and watch TV, or is it those people that are healthy because they're up and down all day and they're jittery and they keep twitching and they can't sit still? And it seems the science is turning to the to the side of those who have spilkis and they can't sit still. There, there, there's actually a lot of health benefits to that. Lisa, you're back on. Good for you. I'm yes. back on. You oh. guys can hear me okay? This is the other yeah. Lisa. Yep. <laughs> um, so, Lisa Hoffman, you worked on your book, I know, with a um, oncologist, I believe, from Memorial Sloan Kettering that we were just talking about. Is that right? Yeah. There were a few different oncologists and other health professionals in the oncology field that helped and uh, contributed to the book and took a look at the book. And, and basically it was from their patients that we were working with to find the benefits for physical activity, and also this book was written way back in, in uh, 2002, and we started to develop the book back in the late 90s, and this is before Lance Armstrong won, won a tour, and it was customary thought of keeping people physically active. So this was a pretty much of a challenge, and uh, you know, swimming uh, against, the, against the grain, uh, the flow, basically of how do we get these patients who are starting to go under treatment to be physically active. And I think what the biggest challenge was getting everybody on the same page, that we weren't going out and running a race. We were actually trying to walk around the living room table. Or in our instance, we had a client who wanted to take a bath, and she was scared to take a bath because she, didn't, she knew she could get in the bath, but she didn't have the strength to get out of the bath. So we basically worked on what, what muscles do you need to get out of the bath, in and out of the bath, or what muscles and range of motion and strength you need to pick out your sweater on the top shelf of your closet. And these were the practical things that we were focusing on. And once we spoke with the oncologist and talked about, here's what we're doing, can you give her the green light to do it, then that was okay. And now exercise became movement. And so we really took that word exercise and fitness out of, out of the equation, and now jump ahead in 2011, we're keeping fit people really fit in, this, in, in, the, in the United States. We have lots of toys at the fitness center, all different kinds of classes and ellipticals and bicycles. You, you know, they can tell you your heart rate, your blood pressure, and your horoscope probably at the same time while you're doing things and multitasking. But what we're not doing is engaging people to participate in health. And it's my belief that fitness is for the few, but wellness is for the many. And yeah. if we change the definition of what we're trying to do to get people to move from exercise is medicine, and we can change things from being physically active. And what's so interesting, it's independent of your weight and your body mass index and your waist size. Being physically, physically active have acute and chronic positive side effects regarding sure. insulin sensitivity, changing in the musculature, changing in your, in your cardiovascular system. And if there is something, you know, there's a motivation for everyone. And when we're working with our, with our population who have gone through cancer treatment, these people are motivated. It's wonderful to work with them because it's different from, I want to sit in my bikini. That can be part of the equation, yeah. but it may, it's not the whole equation. 
Lisa, so Lisa James, uh, James has sure. a quick question sure. for you here. Lisa, you sure. mentioned that there, are, there is obviously evidence that shows that this is beneficial for people in treatment. Do you still get the pushback from physicians, and how do you address that? It's becoming less and less. However, what my point of contention is it's not a piece of the standard care, standard practice of care. It should be that you have to ask for it and people don't know where to go and what to do. Right now, many uh, uh, cancer institutions have a physical therapy department. So basically that means you need to have an injury to present, present with an injury to go to physical therapy. You need to have pain in your bones or tight muscles to be able to go to physical, th physical therapy um, or help with fatigue after the fact. What we do know that following treatment, during treatment and following treatment, there are some physiological changes. We know we can attenuate that with physical activity. It should be standard practice. You come in, you get your blood counts, you get your chemo, you get or radiation, you do physical activity. And it's, um, it's a real disservice that's not part of the continuum of care. And it's, you know, in my belief, physical activity is adjuvant therapy just as chemotherapy is. So for a patient that's on the West Coast and not New York City, what do you recommend to them if they believe that this would be beneficial to their treatment? The first thing I would do is bring it up with either their oncologist or really that primary person that they may be dealing with, their nurse practitioner. Of You know that there's fatigue most likely happening um, and other kind of side effects that could be happening. And ask them, who do you know that I can speak with um, that I can perhaps work with through physical activity who, who knows what I've been through. I'm a member of the American College of Sports Medicine, and they have a new, pro, new certification called Cancer Exercise Specialist. So these are specialists like myself who are physiologists with an added specialty of working with those during and after cancer treatment. And if you go onto their website and kind of put in your zip code of where you are in the country, you can perhaps find a specialist. There are not many of them of us. I believe uh, from our last numbers, the, the conference two weeks ago was only 192, which is a shame because many of the people are being directed to physical therapists who are not educated in cancer care. They're educated in how to correct a rotator cuff. Or maybe go to YMCA where they're concerned about liability if someone gets injured, I would mm -hmm. assume. Um. Yeah, and... and if they're participating in a class, and I hope to change it in the near future, so you'll have me back on, back on your radio um, in a few months from now, that hopefully I'll be changing that norm and well, as the status quo of that. Well, uh, it would seem that our second guest, uh, Kathy, um, has gone AWOL. So guess what? You're stuck with us for the next 20 minutes. Really? Well, you know, I'm in New York, and I like to talk. <laughs> hey, Lisa, let me ask you, um, do you – it sounds like there – it's interesting that you bring up specific tasks. Like there are people who say, I can't get out of the bathtub. And I know for me, I had breast cancer, and when they took my lymph nodes out, and um, maybe Jessica went through the same thing, I couldn't lift my right arm at mm -hmm. all. So that was obvious I had to go through, you know, mm -hmm. go, to the, go through physical therapy. But what else are just general stuff? I mean, if you, have a, uh, if you have another kind of cancer that sort of doesn't specifically affect an area um, physically, um, whether it's th thyroid cancer or, or something else where perhaps, you know, you're still pretty able-bodied, what, um, what do you sort of recommend and how do you um, 
tweak somebody's program. And, and for folks who, you know, the age old that we all say, I'm too busy, I'm too this, too that, what are sort of like some simple basic tips? I guess what are some broad strokes and then what are some simple basic tips that you give people? So that's a really great question, Lisa. You know, and first of all, uh, you brought up a very specific example of range of motion in the shoulder area uh, after surgery. And there can be localized uh, limitations and impediments, and there can also be systemic. And, you know, we kind of have across the board where it's fatigue. Uh, and also we're getting a little bit more less active during treatment. And that is another kind of a downward spiral because if we're sitting more, our, our, our muscles are getting tight, our low back starts to hurt, posture is kind of out the door. No, I don't know right. anyone who has a diagnosis of cancer and has good posture at that yeah. day <laughs> or, or going yeah. through treatment. So there's kind of so if you look at that, then what muscles get tight, what muscles get stressed over a period of time, uh, where's the tension and anxiety build, and it can manifest physically. So if we kind of look at these areas, and when working with someone going through treatment, and again, it's individualized to the person, there are some things that... Not necessarily there's surprises because we know things will change, but if you're doing physical activity, your cardiovascular system is compromised if there's uh, systemic chemotherapy. And your heart rate will elevate quickly. So that means when we work at, and we want to be cardiovascularly fit and have some aerobic capacity, but going up the stairs you get more winded than you used to. Or walking two blocks, may, you get more winded. People used to get in and out of the car. Kind of you have to figure out which yeah. you know which foot goes first. How do I move that? Watching a movie, how do you get up out of the chair after a while? So there are some things when we when we're looking for again with our cardiovascular fitness, heart rate will go up too quick too soon, and we don't want that. So that means a longer warm up and low intensity of activity, and it should be stop and start, or it's called intermittent activity, or interval is kind of low intensity, high intensity. We don't take anybody high intensity. Just showing up as intensity is intense enough. Yeah. And, you know, you already won in my book. And a lot of times, you know, we meet people, we touch the bicycle, but we'll never get on it. And But that, to me, was a success because we because they were engaged to participate and the next day will be better. And yeah. you respect your feelings and how it is. Not every day, you know, it, it's not a linear progression, perhaps in a... In, you know, if we find a model of cardiac rehab, you have a cardiac event, you go to cardiac rehab. It's part of the model. It's now 2011. You have cancer, you go to cancer rehab. That should be part of the model. Right. We have a lot of activity in our chat room, actually, um, from uh, some good friends and folks who listen to the show. Our friend Allie, who says she now has a neck and shoulder industry uh, injury from so much inactivity. So mm -hmm. clearly this is um, a common theme among people and kind of really um really hitting home. I wanted to ask you too, I noticed that your background is in dance. Yeah. Corporate I mean I know for some other illnesses, like I have a friend with Parkinson's who uh actually goes to a very famous choreographer, Mark Morris, who has hmm. dance classes for those with Parkinson's. Do you incorporate dance at all or is it just kind of all one since, you, know, you know, it it's interesting. Well first Mark Morris is, is just down the street from us and uh way back in the day I auditioned for him. So <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, you know, dance is, is, is moving your body. And when we're working with somebody, if you want to call it exercise, uh, physical activity, we just need your body. 
we don't need the, the, the bells and whistles, like, and if that goes under the category of fitness, you know, fitness is for people who like to exercise. Personally, I don't like to exercise. I like to move. I come from a dance background. We were forbidden to do sit-ups and dance class because moving enough works your core. We were actually thrown out of our, out of class if our teacher saw us doing a sit-up. So we, it was kind of counter, um, you know, counterproductive or counterintuitive to do these isolated exercises and overload when you're when all you really need at the end of the day is your body. We can do so many different things with our body. And what's interesting when I incorporate, a, uh, the further along I move into my exercise physiology world, the further back I go to my dance world. And because dance is three-dimensional. Dance is full of quality. You go uh, uh, hard, you go soft. You go light, you go heavy. You go quick, you go slow. And going quick is super important for all of us, and especially those who slow down a little bit during treatment. Falls happen quickly. Sprained ankles happen quickly. You slip quickly. We need agility in this. But it's short and sweet because we know your cardiovascular system will go high. We want to work in the back body, you know, three-dimensional moves. Exercise is very forward, you know, with right, left, up, down, <coughs> and count to ten. Pretty boring. Um, so I certainly incorporate dance and moves into, you know, into all our programs. And that's, you know, and at the end of the day, that's really where I called the, the book The Healing Power of Movement, not The Healing Power of Exercise. And I also want to address three things in case, you know, we go over time, you know, What's the motivation to move in this population? And there actually are some things that there should be a motivation to move because there there can tend to be a higher risk in this population for chronic issues and health challenges. And that's, if everyone can remember, COOQ, that there may be an increased risk of cardiovascular health issues, an increased risk of osteoporosis, which increases um, bone thinning, and it can go to a bone fracture, and obesity. And all these things are not unique in the cancer population. It really is across the board for all of us and so has domino effects. Yeah, cardiovascular, uh, uh, obesity, and the middle one was oh, osteoporosis. Osteoporosis, so think of poo. Think of poo. Okay, so hang on one second, Lisa, because I think we have Kathleen, our first guest, who has a materialized. So we may want to bring her into the conversation okay. here, Matthew, and do a bit of a round table. Am I am I right? Sure. Yeah, Kathy, are you here? Hi, Matthew. Yes, I'm so sorry. I was in the green room, I thought waiting, but apparently I was disconnected. So I'm happy and uh pleased to be back in connection with you. I'm just going to blame Buffalo. Nice. What's that? I'm going to blame Buffalo. I know. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, we get a bad rap here, but it's uh, it's a pleasure I, to talk with you again and say hello to Lisa and uh, your other guest as well. Two Lisa's, Hi, double Lisa. Yeah, yeah, Lisa, 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 Lisa squared. How do you do? So, um, <laughs> so let me uh, let me just briefly let our listeners know who you are. You are a certified health coach and food enthusiast, aren't we all? Uh, she decided to uh, because it depends on what food you're an enthusiast for, I suppose. You're not a fried <laughs> Twinkie enthusiast. Uh, Not you, at all. <laughs> you, you became a health coach to fulfill your passion of working with people who want to make a healthy changes in their lives. Uh, you were diagnosed with breast cancer at age 44, which motivated you to help others dealing with the challenge of healing from cancer. And uh, then you had thyroid cancer after your breast cancer, because two is always better than one. 
and <laughs> you received your training at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition here in New York City. You're certified by the American Association of Drugless Partitioners, which makes you a crack dealer, uh, leads <laughs> workshops on nutrition, offers individual health and nutrition coaching, and you spoke so eloquently, presented so magnificently at the uh, Stupid Cancer Boot Camp in Buffalo last month that we just had to have you on the show. Well, thanks, Matthew, and, and it's it's nice to talk with you again and and share some more of in more detail. Hopefully, I don't know how much time we have, but when I um, was first asked to do this, I was recalling back to when I was diagnosed in 2000, and uh, like Lisa was talking about, you know how important the body is for moving. But back then, my sense was, you know, the Western approach surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, and then a second round of all that for me, um, I, I didn't feel like I had much control over my body. And I think that's, that's a pretty common feeling, this sense of loss and loss of control. But we can control, you know, how we treat our body. And as Lisa's spoken about with great detail about movement and what you put into it is just as important. I actually have this quote that I love to use that exemplifies that and it's Hippocrates, let food be thy medicine. I know we Matthew, you and I talked about, you know, some key points about whole foods and some suggestions that I would have for for survivors, but I'm not sure I'm just coming into the conversation late, so I'm not exactly sure where Well we were you'd talking like we, we were discussing um I mean Lisa Hoffman was talking about movement and motion and, and um and physical activity as it pertains to wellness, but obviously nutrition uh, plays a huge role into that too. And, I mean, we've done so many shows on nutrition and wellness, uh, and the same conversation always comes back to us with comments from the chat room and what we hear uh, just in the um, the everyday lives of dealing with cancer is how realistic is it that we can do everything or what can we do versus the barriers we have with medical restrictions or feeling like crap or you know, something mm-hmm. you just want a pint of ice cream because that's the only thing that's going to get you through the day. So, right, so, right. so what ha- and what have you experienced in you know working with cancer patients who just they just can't get through the day, they just can't get up and move, they just can't do certain things. Uh, is is it the person to blame? Is there blame needed? Is there something that needs to be in the institutional clinical setting that gets them up a little more? Like, mm-hmm. Is there? There's no magic bullet, but what? What do you? Yeah. What, what do you experience? Well, and I, I think this is really about balance, and it's about bioindividuality. We all handle things differently. Some people suffer from weight gain. Some lose weight. Um, but I think, in common threads that I've seen, is that oftentimes this is such an emotional experience that what we're looking at is primary foods. Like, what are your relationships with? what you're doing for, let's say, career. Um, do you have a path of spirituality that's keeping you fulfilled? I mean, these sorts of things really factor into our behaviors and the choices that we make. Now, from a, a more clinical perspective, obviously hydration is really key for most of us, whether we're in treatment or post-treatment. You know, we're largely made up of water, and it's important to maintain that balance. And oftentimes we're looking for, you know, power drinks or something that we think will elevate our moods when, in fact, a lot of those sugar-coated drinks can set us up for a lot of imbalance and a lot of um, other problems. So what I advocate for is 
not getting liquids just or hydration just through liquids, but also also through veggies and fruits. And um, you know, we're talking about that internal rainforest within the body, so we do keep that balance. Watching caffeine is huge. You know, a lot of us. Well, I don't anymore, but. You know, a lot of people start their day with coffee hitting their gut first thing in the morning. You're undergoing treatment or post-treatment. You know, that that intestinal tract has really been through the ranks with, you know, all the drugs and, you know, all the physical uh, tribulations that are affected by chemotherapy. So, you know, I encourage people to stick with water and herbal teas. Coconut water is you know, the hottest thing now, it's high in electrolytes and potassium. Uh, this time of year, watermelon is really plentiful, and you'll get some of that from, from eating watermelon as well. It's very refreshing, very cooling for the body. Um, but is it up you know, to the, is, uh, not to interrupt you, is it up to, I mean, obviously, yeah, I'm going to just go back to my experience, which is I couldn't get out of bed when I was in treatment. I was yeah. so miserable. I was so tired. I wasn't mm-hmm. eating because I was throwing up ten times a day. Nothing right. Nothing would, like, gravity was controlling my life at that point. Mm-hmm. Nothing could get me to do anything. Whose responsibility is it, if anyone's, to intervene well, with that? I mean, obviously, you know, we're all responsible for our bodies, but the information that we get, you know, we have to seek that out. And a lot of times the answers lie within. I mean, I remember when I was going through chemo as well, the same thing. I mean, you lived on the bathroom floor next to the toilet and, you know, just suffered through whatever you could do to get through that period. And eventually that does subside. So, you know, things like uh, fresh ginger or um, something that will calm the body's uh, a digestive system or chamomile teas. But once again, it's individual. So you have to really kind of key into what works for you and that's a lot of the work that I do with my clients to discover what works for them and sometimes you know it's just going to be a tough road and and you just have to trial and error it but uh, I think what's really important especially undergoing treatment is organic as clean a food as you can afford to put in your body even eating within the seasons and as local as you can is going to be much more dense nutrient uh, nutrient dense. So, from the perspective of whose decision it is, I think it's ultimately ours. I mean, I would like to see, you know, some of these cancer centers uh, a lot more proactive. I mean, when I was in school, we talked about juice bars in hospitals. Like, what a great idea! You know, how, how, how's the food when you're in the hospital? Do you think it's very good? I mean. There's some work to be done there. Yeah, we often talk about. You know, there's a there's a there's a hospital up in Connecticut. There's some great women that um, have started a kind of farm to table movement for hospitals. But I know in order to get in there, I'm sure bureaucratically and change that um, will take uh, forever. But at least yeah. I, I see small initiatives in that direction, which is heartening. And of course, you know, the greatest irony about you know not having great food in the hospital. Um, right. Well, and I think that's where a lot of these efforts are coming from, Lisa, is from a grassroots where we're going back to our our traditions and the basics, you know, eating as as much clean food as we can, whole foods that aren't wrapped or processed or have any additives that really, you know, I, I recall a lecture 
that I was listening to about <clears throat> the energetics of food and, and how how different foods affect us. Like greens are so hydrating and they come from a an upward area from the sun. So the sunshine is providing these phytochemicals that ultimately land right within our system. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, but, you know, it's not a sexy food. Yeah. Let's, so, pack it, let's, let's have both of you um, sort of address, I mean, we, we've talked about when you're, you know, actually in treatment, but a lot of um, folks listening, you know, are survivors who are a few years out, and they're trying to, you know, for a lot of us, I think you try to sort through, okay, and, and uh, um, Kathy, you can certainly relate to this, you're out of the treatment, and then you think, okay, now what? I don't have the treatment, so how am I supposed to live my life? So can each of you sort of say, maybe Lisa say the bare minimum in terms of movement that somebody who's out of treatment and a survivor should be doing? I mean, the standard is, I guess people say, do you know, do some sort of cardio three or four times a week or whatever it is in your um, mind right. that you would recommend. And then we can maybe go back to Kathy, and I'd be interested to hear about what is your diet and what is sort of doable? Because as Matthew mentioned, we have a, we've had done shows on this, and we've had you know Chris Carr, who's phenomenal on the show, and some people find her diet to be a little bit too extreme in terms of what they can actually achieve. So um, we can maybe hear about what you would recommend after that. But Lisa, do you want to start off? Sure. Thank you for that, Lisa. You know, as you said, for those of you who are out of treatment um, and looking for ways to incorporate physical activity into your life. No matter if there's a cancer diagnosis or not, or, or post, we're always looking to prevent um, future health challenges. And sometimes there's a misnomer with a lot of people and I've spoken to said, well, I already have cancer, what am I preventing now? That we're always trying to prevent future cancers and also other health challenges, as I mentioned before, cardiovascular uh, disease, osteoporosis, and obesity. So to address that and knowing that exercise is medicine and it makes a huge difference, um, that something needs to, something is better than sitting all day. And so what is that definition? The American College of Sports Medicine and the NIH and the CDCs came up with all these wonderful guidelines. Uh, and, you know, kind of the bare minimum if there's something is to be active 30 minutes a day, five days a week. So what does that mean for people in everyday life? If you're here, many of you are here in New York City, most people are getting that in just to walk to work and back or getting in and out of the subway. But it's a little bit more challenging when you're in a car and you're commuting and then you have the office all day and then going back and there's no time to do anything. It's kind of the, the, the million-dollar question, how do you incorporate physical activity into a busy life? And there's no simple answer for that, and there's no one way to do it. Um, just as Kathy mentioned, uh, eating kids. kind of in the season, <laughs> physically, physical activity can be part of the seasons. There can be times to be active, and then there's time to be outdoors and times to be indoors. But if we go to the research um, and preventing reoccurrence of cancer, we can see that definitively in breast and colon. We can see prevent, primary prevention and physical activity in breast and colon and endometrial cancers and also any cancers that have are related to fat. That it also can be independent of losing weight and your waist size. It's a physiological change that happens in your body. So you may not be able to feel that. You may not be able to feel the cells 
in your colon are not proliferating because we're doing being, we're being physically active. It makes a difference. So you may not feel that, you know, why am I exercising? I'm not losing weight. You're doing something that's beneficial. Yep. Okay. Got to ham- keep hammering that home to all of us. Um, Kathy, what about what about you? What's your what's your diet these days, and what are some easy things that you can recommend that aren't going to freak people out that they think they have to be juicy? Yeah. You know, 24 and every hours. time you yeah, say right. kale, an angel gets his wings. <laughs> <laughs> I love kale. Well, Ding. the thing is, my diet is, and I don't like the word diet. Actually, the foods that I eat are, are always evolving. I I eat a lot differently than I did ten years ago, five years ago. It, it keeps improving and I think that that should be the philosophy for a lot of people because I think what happens is people get really kind of wired into thinking that you know you have to be an expert to be a good cook and that you know if it's not all organic it's no good well you know whatever improvements you can make to introduce more whole foods you know, connecting with cooking, it's a good way to be creative and connect with your family. It's a good way to save money. Um, you know, there's so many great cooking shows on, on television now. I mean, those are great ways, and especially on the Internet, of finding new ways to reinvent yourself. But it's really important to know that what you're putting in your body is going to directly affect you. So, you know, some real concrete suggestions as survivors, you know, one of the things we have to watch for is inflammation. So we really want to limit sugar and anything acidic. Acidic foods would be like meats. Um, Sugar is acidic. You know, these kinds of foods breed acidity, and that is, you know, the precursor for chronic illness. So that is very key. Um, Smaller portions so that you know, you can control your weight and your glycemic index is more stable. Um, also to just listen to your body. You know, if, you, if you're if you overeating and you feel that sense of, you know, having a fatigue and, you know, just being really challenged in that regard, you know, that's a lesson for you to take in for the next time that you're having a meal that, you know, that really wasn't a good decision. So, I really need to connect with something that works better for me. And one of the ways that you can do that is just to to try and be more present when you eat, chew your food longer, and try to be in a relaxed state. You know, take a breath and just chew until your food is liquid. Um, Eat until you're no more than two-thirds full. I mean, that sounds like very fundamental things, but um, I think food is a very personal journey, and... The work that I do isn't very um, well. I don't. It will not be dogmatic. So people need to find the right choices for them. But what I advocate for is as much fresh as local, whole foods, organic, and um, for it to be joyful. Life's too yeah. short to eat food you don't like. Mm-hmm. I think you, I think you're right in terms of. I mean, to the degree. I mean, again, everybody's got busy lives, but it really doesn't take that much to cook on your own and you know there's so many hidden ingredients and things that you get in restaurants and you're right it ends up being so much more economical um yeah i mean and, and if you so you can there. cook once and have several meals you know it doesn't have to be uh, reinventing each night so um you know we grew up i grew up in the 50s and 60s it was 
very appropriate to have leftovers. And, you know, like I said earlier, we're going back to, you know, the basics and and in this economy as well. Yeah. That's an issue as well. Well, good stuff. I think we have to uh, – we've run over time here, Matthew. We probably have to wrap up soon. No, it's good. I mean, we we we, uh, we could talk for days about this stuff. Mm-hmm. There's just such an intricate conversation to be had about the multiple uh, – both positive and ridiculous logistics that go around not deep frying things to begin with and then uh, making organic food affordable or using farmers markets more frequently if you have them um, and then getting doctors to actually care about you beyond just giving you uh, adriamycin how's that mm-hmm. yep I so, agree so to uh, Kathy and Lisa thank you so much for uh, giving us your time uh, again, we could talk for hours. It's a constant conversation. Never gets old, but you guys are doing great work, and thank you for being our guests tonight. My pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks. And right. mine as well, Matthew. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Lisa Hoffman, Kathy Venezia. Good stuff. Good stuff right there. Um, I had a thought before we just part. Um, if, if the secret to health is, is low inflammation, correct, why can't we just take anti-inflammatories all day? Just Crickets? Pop a lot of, just, just pop a lot of uh, Advil? Kenny, you, you'd have no stomach lining. Yeah. And, and I think your body responds better to real things versus medicine. I mean, so, you're, you're getting other things. Well, Advil's food. an anti-inflammatory, right? Right. Yeah? Maybe. Well, but it causes Weren't you a pharmacy assistant? Whatever. I didn't know what the shit did. <laughs> I just you put, just dispensed it. I, I put the lime in the coconut. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, Lisa, we look forward to having you back here at Camp Pendleton next week and not up in Fort Knox. Absolutely. Um, but uh, thank you for being on the show. Um, and uh, now it is time for our closing sequence, our brand new closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Wow. Okay, folks, that is tonight's show, our 190th broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did. We're going to stick it stupid cancer. All right, we want to thank our guests, Susie Castelline, James Manning, Kenny Kane, Jessica Rogers, Kathleen Venezia, and Lisa Hoffman. I'm loving this rap from Herbalist. We love this. Great. Next week's show is all about Julie Clark, founder of Baby Einstein and a young adult survivor of breast cancer. And you know you love her in our Survivor Spotlight, Amanda Freeman, young adult survivor of sarcoma and the production broadcast associate of the cancer show. All right. If you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out all the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and our whole team here at I2Y, have a great weekend. Go to bed, Matt. That's me. All righty, folks. Later. Tours, so...